Well, good morning. I hope you're all in good spirits. I hope you're well. Is this on? Yes. Oh, good. It just sounds so like, hello. You're like you're just standing next to me. So that's why I was kind of saying that. It's good to see you all again. And we are going to continue with a series that we started some, I don't know, this is I think the number four, some six weeks ago, How People Grow. And I'm just going to just give a little synopsis, etc. As uh, you know, we're working from the book, How People Grow, by the same title, by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And of course, you can get this book from the bookstore. Even if it's run out, they will order it for you. And we highly recommend it because there are things in there that will help us all as we seek to grow. I know Richard was saying to me, you know, some of the series we do, we get books for them, and you just tend to read the chapter. I'll tell you this, if you're a preacher, you just read the chapter you've got to preach on. But Richard said this is the only one he's been on book he's had where he wants to read the whole thing because it's useful to him. You see, Richard, confession is good for the soul, yeah? <laughs> so let's just remind ourselves of the objective of the series. You're we're going to look at the, and to remind you again, because of the fact is that, you know, we've had lots of preachers in between, so this kind of gets lost. So we're going to look at the essential process that makes people grow. We're going to look at how these processes fit into a biblical understanding of spiritual growth and, he, and, and theology. And we're also going to consider how spiritual growth and real life issues are one and the same. And what we hope at the end of this series is that you will, be, will commit to growth. And the fact of the matter is, whether you commit or not, God's committed to see you grow. And as Philippians 1 6 says, He who began this good work, He's going to complete it. And it's better for you to cooperate. <laughs> yes? Because when He got you, He has a plan to, technical word, sanctify you. So we hope that you will commit to it so that God can bring to pass in your life what he has planned for you. And those plans are good things. Just a quick review then. Remember I started off the series and we talked about the fact that God, that we need to get reconnected to God because we were disconnected from God. And the purpose is this, that we not only get reconnected to God, but we get reconnected to each other. That in the garden... There was complete transparency and a complete openness with God and with Adam and Eve. But because of the fall, we lost that. So God, in his wisdom, has decided that the redemptive process should bring us back into relationship with him. And then the purpose is is that he redeems all the other aspects of our life so that ultimately we're in a better place than we were before the fall. Okay, that was good. Secondly, then, Richard talked about, well, about what God has provided for us. And he talked about, I've got it here, the, the, the motivation for ch- that is provided by his grace. His grace is for us, it's sufficient for us. But this is the point he made, and it's very important, that this grace means that God is for us all the time. Whether we are performing well or not. And not only that, we see it modeled in the life of Jesus. How Jesus lived in that grace, but he went through suffering. And then finally, we, we talk about the, the means of that grace, which is the Holy Spirit. How he comes and he works with us and he woos us 
and completes the work that God has started in us. And then Linda talked about the, the, the atmosphere, the climate for growth, and the three things here that God intends us to be, to grow in community. When we did the gospel in life, Mr. Keller there said this, that you know, we will never know God deeply and change and win the world apart from community. So God intends that we, we do the stuff together. Isolation is not good. Then, of course, in this community, there's acceptance. You don't have to look good all the time. It's all right to fall apart. Failure is okay. Yeah? It's not like victory. No, the reality is that we don't all have victory. We all have failure. And this is the, the, and as we accept one another and we give grace to one another, this is a safe place for people to fail. And then experiencing the warmth of forgiveness. And Linda spoke wonderfully about that. The fact that it's not just you under your blanket, you know, confessing your sins to God in isolation. But, God, but when you confess your sins to one another and people pray for you and pronounce God's forgiveness over you, you receive God's grace. And learning to forgive ourselves and learning to forgive others and learning to make restitution. So those are the things that we've covered. This morning, oh, we're going to consider paths to growth. However, your homework will be to read chapter 10, which is the guidebook, which is the Bible which is our guidebook for growth. Now, I have not got the time to go through that this morning. Uh, however, you can read it in the book. But let me just say this, that the Bible is obviously our guide. It has everything that we need to grow spiritually. So what I would suggest to you that you should listen to it as you're doing now. You should read it every day. Well, well you can attempt to read it every day. You can meditate on it, which is applied to your life. You can study it so that you can accurately understand some of the truths of God's word. You can memorize it so in those moments of temptation, you're able to, draw, the Holy Spirit can touch on a word and you can speak it out. And what Joshua 1.8 says is, if you do all these things, then your way will be prosperous and you will have good success as you seek to grow. So that's the kind of promo for it. So read chapter 10. If you haven't got the book, borrow it from somebody. But I would suggest very strongly that you read chapter 10. But this morning, we're going to look at, or the title would be, No Pain, No Gain. The role of suffering. <laughs> go back one. You stole it before to go. No pain, no gain. The role of suffering and grief. Yeah, and, I, and the thing is, I put that in there because, you know, you're talking about suffering and grief. It's not one of those messages where I can kind of zip you all up and kind of go for it. It's one of those where we're kind of, ooh, ooh. But I want to lighten it, but it is about no pain, no gain. The role of suffering and grief. Now then, we would all like to have developed, well-toned bodies. Many of us would like to go from Mr. Puny to Rippled, obviously if you're a bloke. Obviously I couldn't put a lady up there, I didn't think it was appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to help you, you, know, and, you know, putting that up there might not help you. However, we all want that, don't we? And I like the way it says 12 weeks. Here's the deal, you only get that if you do it every day for 12 weeks. 
You know, my son, is, uh, he's been training and conditioning himself, etc. He wants to play football. And January the 20th, January, he started his training and he's got a diary. So the body that he has now, and it's well cut, is not an accident. He had to commit to the process. And he's very disciplined about it. Now, <laughs> in the realm of the natural, there are no shortcuts. You can't go from that to that in one day. You have to prepare to do it every day or at least five days a week to get the result that you want. Now, it's true spiritually. Now, if you want to get well-toned spiritually, you've got to embrace the process. There are no shortcuts. If you want to play the piano at grade seven, you have to start at grade one. You can't just go on and ding, you are now in the Albert Hall and you start there. No, you can't fake it. Some things you can fake. If you go to college, you can fake it. You could go to college and party, and then two weeks, a week before the exams, cram, 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 and pass. Some of you know this, yeah? <laughs> right? But in the physical domain, you can't do that. If you want to run under two minutes or 800 meters, you have to do the training. You can't just look good in the sun, I've got your lycra on, etc., and just walk around looking good, you know? And then when you know, June comes now, come on the track and beat the life out of everybody. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to do the work in the winter when it's cold and when you don't want to do it and you feel, ah, but you go out and you do it. Get on the track when it's frosty and you do the work. Been there, done that. So we must push through the pain to get what we want, the gain. And if you know anything about how muscles work, my son's retaining this, you, you, you do the weights, not, it's the last two where you really build. And what happens is that the actual fibers snap, okay, and the next day after you've rested, they reform stronger. So you've got to push through. And this is also true in the realm of spiritual growth. So, what is the purpose of suffering? Let's look at Romans 5, 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the, in the hope of glory. Not only but so, but also glory in our sufferings, because we know that, here it is, suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. So, what's the purpose of suffering? It's to produce character. That's what it's about. That's the price. And what I hope this morning is that I want to demystify this for you so that you realize that there are practical things we can do to grow in character. So, how does God achieve this? Well, here it is. Here's the first thing. Get this. He stretches our me coping mechanisms through trials and sufferings. And let me put it another way. What God does is he puts you in the pressure pot. And most of us have our own coping mechanisms to get through in life. And you know what God's purpose is? To break the mechanism. When you get to that place where you say, I can't handle it anymore, then you're at the right place. So when Jesus said you will have trouble in this life, 
There was a reason, because he knew for most, he knows that in most of us, we have mechanisms that we use to try and cope with, which will not help us. So God's purpose is to break them through trials and through suffering. That's when we find out that we need to grow. That's the true, that's when true spiritual place can, great, uh, growth can take place at a deeper level. Now, I wish I could tell you that it was an easy way to do it, but the truth is that some of us need to get beat up real bad. We need to go through the emotional pain. We need to fall on our face, and then we come to the end of ourselves and we're, and then God starts to do something in us because we're overwhelmed. Now, it's a complete antithesis to how we work in the world. In the world, everybody wants to look good. Everybody's in control. Everybody is winning, Yes? And we're all looking good. And you can go to churches like that, where everybody looks so shiny and bright. Everybody looks good. They have the perfect marriage. They have the perfect relationship. They read the Bible every day. Everything is good. But it's a sham. Because they're not, they don't really want to know, let people know what's really going on. Because in those environments, if there's no acceptance, if there's no forgiveness, if there's no love, why would you tell people? So they can judge you. So then, how does the work, how does, this, how does character growth take place? Well, just like athletes, we need to push through. If you want to grow if, in character, then you have to push through some of the things that you would hide from other people. Let's have a look. What about being prepared to push through and be vulnerable and become more transparent? What about fear of confessing our sins to ourselves and to others? Fear of being found out. Supposing, you know, pressing through that fear, shall I share it with them? What will people think of me if I share it in a group? Will it go outside? Pushing through. Because it takes courage. What about dealing with our traumas and hurts that we've got pushed down there? Or fear of taking risks, risks to be known. You know, being assertive instead of allowing people to just tell you a lot of stuff and you just accept it. Now, some of you, you know, you've got strong fathers who always give their opinion, always say what they want, and you've never challenged them. You know, I've had to face that one. And you speak up for the first time. And you exercise your voice for the first time, whereas before you just submitted taking responsibility for our weakness and growing beyond it. Instead of it being someone else's fault or they made me, you decide, no, I'm going to take responsibility for it. It's down to me. And doing, taking the action you need to take to get free from it. Learning to grieve. Now, this is a new thing for me because I, I can't come to a church where it's about victory, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, and everybody's looking triumphant, you know. So the last thing, you know, if, if someone dies as I, in that situation, well, everybody's got to be, you know, victorious. We don't, we don't, do, we don't do crying, you know. We're, we're British. We have a stiff upper lip, you know, all that stuff. So everybody's, so in the midst of grief, instead of you grieving, you, you, your stiff upper lip causes you a lot of problems a little later on. 
You know, learning to grieve, learning to reconcile difficult relationships. You know you need to go and make, have the conversation, but you're too afraid because you're afraid that if you tell them what they need to hear, they may leave you. I think they call that codependency. Learning to ask forgiveness and to make amends. Becoming active in life to get one's needs met. Instead of expecting everybody to come to you, you get up and you do something. That all takes courage. All things that we have to push through. But let me just ask you, what's bad pain? Well, according to Henry Cloud, this is bad pain. Bad pain comes from repeating old patterns and avoiding the suffering it would take to change its wasted pain, the pain of avoidance. That's bad pain. When you spend all your life trying to avoid the things that you know God's got you on the hook for and you, you know you need to speak to but you won't do it, so you spend a lot of energy avoiding it. You know, there are lots of people moving around churches, and many of them, when they go to the church, they, they have pain, and then the person wants to, and then we start to deal with it, and they don't like it, so they run somewhere else with the pain because they're avoiding the issue. Some of us, we have people who keep doing foolish things, and we keep saving them from the consequences from the pain, but sometimes you have to let them fall into the pain before they change. That was new for me, because my natural goal is to save them from the pain, but sometimes you have to let them experience the pain. What does the Bible say about our attitude to suffering? Let's look at 1 Peter. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil desires, but rather for the will of God. So, Paul Peter says this, you can arm yourself against suffering. So how do we do that? Well, I put to you a number of things that we can do. Practical things. Emptying ourselves. His way as opposed to our way. Not the highway. My way or the highway. No, it's his way, not our way. You know, that song that was written by Paul, oh, never mind, by Frank Sinatra, Did It My Way. That's an accursed song. Because if you do it my way, you could get real messed up. Or as I say to people, you're doing it your way? How's it working for you? Not returning evil for evil and pick up your cross. And I'm going to run through this quickly, very, very quickly. And if we have time, we'll get to grief. If we don't, then we'll, never mind. We'll do it another day. So, emptying ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Folks, humbling ourselves. This is actually called emptying ourselves, yielding to him, to, our control, to, to control our lives. Now, you see... 
one of the main issues that got us into trouble is that we try to be God in our lives. Now, when we yield to him, what we're saying is that you are the Lord, you are God, you guide me. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to yield to you. You're the boss. We learn how to trust and obey. And it was my old baptismal hill. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. For we never can find the delights of his grace until all on the altar we lay. Where he sends, we will go. What he says, we will do. But it's to those who will trust and obey. Yeah, you got some old time preaching there, didn't you? <laughs> right. But the fact is, it's true. And it's, you can only summarize it that way. Some of you knew that and, you know, shows my background. And some of you, you, know, you never heard it before. But trusting and obeying God, that's, how it, that's what it boils down to. When we empty ourselves. Let's look at our next scripture. He may, the next one, his way as opposed to my way. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But your, your will be done. You know, in spiritual growth, we have to learn to bend the knee to the Father. And that's hard for us because if we've got coping mechanisms that we've used for many years, we will tend to want to bend towards that. To choose God's will, not our own, is to turn from the options and face the problems directly. It's to turn from the options and face the problems directly. To choose God's will, not our own, is to face our coping mechanisms and give them up. See, this isn't the will of God, 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 God. This is really practical. We face our coping mechanisms and we turn away from them. That word about idols. A coping mechanism is an idol. God calls us to turn away from them to him. Next one, not returning evil for evil. Romans says this. Do not repay everyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, Jesus, in his life, his main concern was to do what was right, whatever the circumstances. And we read how he was abused verbally, he was abused physically, but he always did what was right irrespective of the circumstances. Now, we read, I think it's 2 Peter, we read, for it's commendable if one bears up under pain or unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But it is your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good 
and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And in my own life, there are situations and circumstances where I have to entrust myself to God. The judgment that was made against me may not have been positive, but I entrust myself to God who knows all things. His will, his way by his spirit. Well, the next one, pick up your cross. Matthew 16, 24, 25 says this. Then Jesus said to disciples, and by the way, let me just see the precursor. Jesus had, um, Simon had just recognized that Jesus is the son of God. You know, and he actually says that revelation out. And then Jesus says, I have to go to the cross. And then Jesus rebukes him and says, I'm going to go to the cross. Because Jesus, because uh, Paul, Matthew, <laughs> let's start again. <laughs> Peter wants to protect him from suffering. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. So what does this mean? Ah, although very few of us will be called to give our lives as it were as, perse- uh, and be, you know, as um, martyrs, you know, Fox's books of martyrs, never mind. You're not going to be, very few of us are going to have to lay down our lives in that way. However, our outside life brings pressure. And Suffering takes place in all of us eternally, whether we can see it or not. And the process of growing in character is something that we must commit to. So it's not just a matter of looking good on the inside, on the outside. The reality is if you're going through pain, if you're going through suffering, if you're going through difficulty, if you're going through grief, that's part of that character growth development. So how do we do this? We humble ourselves and give up playing God. You know, for, for me, you know, I worked for many years as a teacher. That job came to an end and it was a, a nice end. But one of the things that's happened in the last eight months is that I've had to realize that, you know, God is my provider. I've had to humble myself and take return to my rightful place of being one who is being led rather than the one who's seeking to lead. It means we must say, not our will, but yours be done. And that's a difficult thing for us. I realize in myself, my flesh fights against that. Because we all like to be in control. We all like to know what's coming next. It means we will not return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. I can tell you, some of the things that have happened to us in the last months at the place I used to work at, it would be easy for me to return evil for good. But God doesn't call us to do that. 
He calls us to overcome evil with good. So those are some practical things you can do. So let's just quickly deal with grief, the time that we have. Why is grief the toughest pain to deal with? Well, it's because we enter it voluntarily. It's the pain that heals all others. It's the only place we can get comfort when things have gone wrong. Well, you see, I still have my parents alive, so I haven't experienced the grief of loss of a parent. Some of you have experienced that. I've experienced the loss of a job and other things. But grief is actually, in God's eyes, a good thing if we enter into the process. What must happen for grief to occur? Well, something bad needs to happen. And here are a number of things that can happen. You see? You see, you don't need to lose someone. You can lose something. You can lose a relationship. You, uh, some of you haven't got there yet, but when your kids, my wife particularly, when you, you move from being a family of four to empty nesting, there's a sense of loss. In fact, I remember Eileen said there's three things, you know, that are massive in your life. When you get married, that's one. It's a big change, I think, for the wife more so than the husband. And then you have children, the before and after. And then they leave. And there's an element of, of changing the season. Relationships come to an end. Failure. You know, failure can bring trauma. You know, you lose your job unexpectedly. Have that. There's a sense of loss, particularly if you enjoyed what you were doing. I enjoyed what I did. So I had to grieve over that. Loss of childhood. You know, you, you look back and wish you'd had the child that, you, that you, you hoped you'd have a wonderful child. It's never happened, and you have to let it go. This is not easy stuff. You know? However, what are the different phrases of grief? Because you need to know this. You need to know this. So these are all things that we can grieve over. But grief is good. You know why? Because ultimately, if we go through the process correctly, it can release energy for us to do the new thing. For some of you, you've been in grief so long over things that you lost that you haven't got energy to do anything else. Because you're still in the process. But God puts you in it so he can bring you through it, so that he can bring life and bring resurrection and bring a new thing in your life if you let it work. So here are the phases. There's a phase of protest. I don't believe it. It cannot be. It can't be true. And usually there's an anger with that. Then there's despair and depression when we give in and finally accept that it's taken place. Then there's that sadness and loss, letting go and saying goodbye. And then finally, resolution and resurrection. When we start our new beginning, and we, we understand why God did it and we become available and energy is released. Now, the issue is we need to get to that final stage. Because grief is good. You know why? Because it allows us to enter the process of letting down and letting go. Letting down and letting go. What do we need to facilitate the process? These two things. We need love, support, and comfort. And we also need structured time, space, and regular activities. 
And where's the best place to experience it? Community. Community. Most of us want to go into isolation, but you see there's love and there's mercy. You know, as some of you know, you've been praying for our daughter Rachel, who is doing extremely well. She had open heart surgery. Um, it wasn't a surprise to us, but it was still a big operation. It's been very successful, and thank you for all those who prayed for us. But one of the things that's helped us through is the community, your prayers, your encouragement, your strength. We didn't have to do it on our own. Grief is a relational experience. It's best done in community so that we can weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. So, what do we need to experience a new life after grief? Well, Henry Cloud puts it like this. He says this. You have to have a support and a structure to get a new life. And friends, one of the things here, if the band could come up, please. Hello, hello. (laughs) One of the things that we need, one of the things we seek to provide here is that support. That's why we're a community that's focused. Our values is about affirming people, loving people, making it a safe environment so you know you've got support, there's support. And secondly, there's structure. There's things that you can do to work through it. Like you all to stand. Because I think this morning that there are people here who've got grief in them. And there are people here who are hiding. And you know, friends, you don't need to hide because no one's going to judge you. That God is here in the house and he wants to, to come and minister into your grief. He wants to bring you through and bring you out. So once again, you can know those times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So, you know, if that is you, at the end of the service, come and get prayer. Come and allow God to minister into your pain. You don't have to carry it around anymore because he's for you. And all of the things that you've gone through is to bring you to this point so that you know that there may be weeping in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Father, thank you and bless you that you are for us. Thank you, Lord, that you stand with us in our role, in our suffering and our grief. And thank you, Lord, you work good things in us as we respond to you. Thank you, Lord.